Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. That's all but the last verse. So today, the, really, the, the whole message is about drama on the high seas, right? Was it last week, I think, that was talk like a pirate week? I th- <laughs> all right, so in honor of talk like a pirate week and Jonah chapter 1, I have a few jokes for you. Lock the doors. Don't let them go. What do you call a pirate that skips school? Captain Hooky. Where does Captain Hook go for a new hook? The second-hand store. How much does a pirate pay for corn? A buccaneer. What's a pirate's favorite rock band? Ario Speedwagon. <clears throat> and I shared this one on Facebook, so don't give it away if you've heard it. What do you call a pirate ship quivering at the bottom of the sea? A nervous wreck. We're going to see, because of Jonah, we're going to see sailors on a ship, and they are a nervous wreck. The whole, the whole theme for Jonah really is God's relentless pursuit of both the saint, in this case it's Jonah, he's not acting like it, but he is, and the sinner. All of the people in Nineveh that God wants to save. The lengths to which God will go to save bad people. Save disobedient people. Last week we did a flyover, chapter one. If you were looking to put a head, headline over it, it'd be re- rebellion is foolish. And we'll see that today. Jonah runs from God and and life becomes stormy. Things get fishy. Yeah. Chapter 2. Repentance is freeing. After three days of stubbornness inside the belly of the beast, Jonah finally repents. And the whale tosses this cookie immediately. Chapter 3. Revival follows repentance. Jonah's simple obedience ends up in this huge revival in Nineveh. And chapter 4. The most beautiful of the whole book. God stands ready to forgive. That's what he does. That's what he loves to do. It's what, one of the things that Jonah hates about it. Is that God is so ready to forgive. We looked at verses 1, 2, and 3 last week. Verses 1 and 2. God says to Jonah, go. I want you to go to Nineveh and warn them. Because, well, it's about time that I do something about all of this wickedness. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me, literally in my face. Review just real quick. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian army, a huge, wicked city, notorious for their cruelty. They would skin enemies alive and wallpaper the city walls with human skin. There were mounds of skulls that served as trophies for their cruel exploits. These guys were nasty. Now God's patience is awesome, but there comes a time when he must punish wickedness. And for Nineveh, that time has come. But God wants to give one last warning. So he says to Jonah, go. And Jonah says, uh, No. Verse 3, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Once again, uh, Nineveh, 500 miles to the east. Tarshish, 2,500 miles to the west. 
to the end of the known world. Jonah goes as far as he possibly can in the other direction. So this prophet's brilliant plan, I'll jump a ship and go to Tarshish. God will never find me there. So he paid the fare, went down into it, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, great plan, Jonah. Let's see how that works. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out. Literally, the word is hurled. The Lord hurled a great wind. Literally, that word is breath on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest. Mighty tempest, it's whirlwind, a brutal, huge, terrifying storm on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. The word is shattered, shivered, ripped to shreds. Now, God said, go. Jonah said, uh, no. Now God says, yo. (laughs) Think about this from God's perspective. What it's literally saying is God sent out, hurled out a wind. So I'm thinking, you know, Jonah, he's like, okay, I got this great plan. I'm going to go to Tarshish, right? He gets on his little toy boat from God's perspective, gets out a little bit. God goes, right? That's what's headed toward Jonah. He sends a perfect storm. This morning we see God in pursuit And he throws down a custom storm. It's perfect because it's perfect to pursue both the stubborn saint, Jonah, and these sailors on the ship that have no idea what's headed their way. Let me ask you before we get started. Could this passage be relevant to you? Do you know someone in a storm this morning. Maybe you're the person in the middle of the storm. I know what the storm looks like for you. It's probably different than for me. Is it your health, your career, your reputation, your marriage, your family, maybe your whole future? Are you in the middle of a mighty, brutal tempest? The winds keep crashing. The the waves keep coming in. The ship that you're on, is it trembling? Nearly coming apart. Seems like it's about to explode. Now, the Bible's pretty clear. Not all storms come directly from the hand of God as, as punishment. But sometimes God is the one who sends the storm. Now, maybe the storm you're on, you brought this storm upon yourself, like Jonah. Or maybe you're like the sailors. You are totally caught up in someone else's storm. Someone else is running away from God, and you're the one who's the possible collateral damage. Either way, I think God brought you here this morning to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. This morning, look at verse five. It says, then the mariners were afraid. That's not the baseball team. 
No, these are professional sailors. The mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. That gives us a clue. Y'all, this is one bad storm. These are professional sailors that are freaking out. How many of you have ridden on a plane? It's like, really? Only two? Okay. Most of us have ridden on a plane. When you hit some turbulence, right? If the flight attendants just keep serving peanuts, you're good, right? If instead they start strapping on parachutes and screaming, we're going to (laughs) die. Not so good. Think about it. These are professional sailors, grizzled, salt, salty sailors. These guys are freaked out, it says. And every man cried out to his God. It is thought that these are Phoenician sailors because they were the best in the world. And that's, we think that's where uh, he was headed. But if so, then the Phoenician sailors are, are idol worshipers. They're pagan, uh, they would have pagan idols, right? So these sailors probably have their gods in their duffel bags. Lucky rabbit's foot under their pillows. Little bobbleheads, bobbleheaded Buddhas on their nightstands, right? Every man cries out to his God. Now, during calm seas over a mocha latte, they would probably describe themselves as spiritual, not religious, right? But in this storm, the prayer life just blew up. Wow, right? The, the, the spiritual hotline is lit up like a Christmas tree. It is all gods on deck. Can <laughs> you picture it? Some sailor freaking out and going, where'd I put my God? It was right here with my keys and my iPod. I've said this before. I figure any God that needs me to carry him around, (laughs) it's not going to do me much good in a really bad storm. Any God that that I can carry around is not going to be able to carry me. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the one true and living God, let me ask you, when the storm hits, Where do you find your God? Where do you go for comfort? Is it a bottle? Does your God live in a bottle? Or in your wallet? Is your God plugged into the wall and on a table, your computer screen? Maybe your God is just to keep yourself busy in the middle of a storm, just rowing like crazy, hoping that it'll all work out. Well, verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Now, y'all, this is no doubt a merchant ship. That means their whole gig is to deliver cargo from point A to point B, right? If they don't do that, then nobody gets paid. So what a week's worth of, of labor is literally down the drain. I wonder how many dollar signs slid into the ocean in the midst of this. Because they're thinking, all right, let's see. Uh, I can jettison the cargo and hope to survive. Or I can keep the cargo and end up at the bottom of the sea. 
It's a desperate time. And they understand that the cargo is not going to do them any good if they're dead, right? Reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What basically Jesus is saying there when it comes to sin, a, a sin that's recurring that you just can't get away from, is that desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Let me put it this way. If you're a believer here this morning and you're in a storm, I challenge you to, to look around the deck a little bit and talk to God. Say, God, is there anything that's, that's been precious to me that needs to hit the bottom of the sea? And he might say, uh, yeah, I told you months ago to get rid of that, to cut it loose. And if you don't, you're, you're going down. Let he who has ears hear what the, the Spirit is speaking to the church. So these, these sailors are freaking out. They've tried every trick in the sailor's manual, right? They've trimmed the sails. They've changed course. They've broken the emergency glass on their gods. And they've even pitched their prophet into the angry sea. Verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Oh, isn't that cute? The rebellious little prophet sleeping. Y'all were in the perfect storm, and now we see the prophet sleeping. Anybody else find this crazy? Like, this, it's his disobedience that caused the storm. It's all hands on deck. It's all God's on deck. And yet he's down below going, hate the Ninevites. Why is God always so mean to me? What's up with that? And how can a guy sleep through a storm like this? One thing that occurs to me is that, you know, disobedience is exhausting. If you find yourself always sleeping, always like, oh, I'm so tired. Look around. Is there something in your life that's just like God's going, look. You need to get rid of that. Now, I can get to sleep pretty quick. <laughs> Lisa hates me for that. I can sleep through a lot. But how can a guy sleep through this kind of storm where the whole, whole ship is shaking? Well, that's what the captain wants to know too. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. God said, go. Jonah said, no. God said, yo. And now the captain says, bro. <laughs> How can you sleep at a time like this? Get the picture in your head. All of these sailors, think about it, who don't know the real God. They are on deck doing every single thing they can, pulling out all the stops to try to survive this storm, to no avail. This ship is shuddering. It's about to burst. And the one guy, the only guy on the ship who actually has a hotline to the living God is asleep at the switch. 
you hear the Spirit of God this morning? We saw it in Esther. Keeps coming back. You know, the whole world is a sinking ship. Check the newspaper. Check Facebook. America is spiraling down. Everybody's saying, where are we going and why are we in this handbasket? And yet the men and women who do have a working hotline to the living God are asleep at the switch. Spiritually asleep. Maybe it's from rebellion because disobedience is exhausting. Maybe it's laziness. But many are not speaking to God through prayer. And last I checked, one of the things that you do when you're awake is you speak. (laughs) Many are not hearing from God through his word. Many are not living the abundant life. The the Greek calls it zoe. It's, It's life that's abundant, that's like bursting. Many are not living the life that Jesus promised us, that he wants us to have. Christians are instead zonked out in front of the tube while the ship goes down. And we wake up just long enough to to post on Facebook how this ship is doomed. But we hardly ever get on our knees and utilize the greatest privilege that we have, which is coming into the throne room of God and saying, God, rescue us, rescue us. We're in the perfect storm. We've seen the prophet sleeping. Now, the ship's crew goes on a perp search. Think about it. Jonah, he puts on his fuzzy slippers, throws his robe over his jammies, heads up to the deck, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. We saw this in Esther, right? The casting of lots. It's a common practice in superstitious cultures to solve some mystery. Now, the the Jews did it as well sometimes. Rolling dice, right? Uh, Maybe putting a a name on a rock, several rocks in a bag, pulling out one, or drawing straws. Uh, Magic eight ball these days. Now, you, you realize we don't need to do these things, right? Because... Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. And, and Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will direct you in all things. But back then it was very common and God was gracious. He would even work through the superstitions of men. So they cast lots and it says the lot fell on Jonah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Magic eight ball. Will we survive this storm? Outlook, not so good. Is someone on board the cause of this storm? It is decidedly so. Is it that sleepy dude with the beard in his jammies? (laughs) It is certain. (laughs) So God says, go. Jonah says, no. God says, yo. The captain says, bro. And now Jonah says, do. (laughs) He's busted. As the sea rages, the sailors all converge on him, right? In the midst of the ship. 
Verse 8, then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? You know, this is the world's most intense game of 20 questions. They're really interested now. What is your story? And I'm guessing right about now is where it finally hits Jonah. He realizes something about personal rebellion. It never stays personal. Jonah got on this ship, no doubt thinking, I'm going to run from God. I'm not hurting anyone else. This is between me and God. It's my business what I do and what I don't do. My running only affects me, and whatever cost comes, I'll just pay it. Listen, there's some people in the room and on the web that need to hear this. You're Jonah. You're running from God. And your rebellion is either bringing or has already brought a storm. And the storm isn't just threatening you. It's threatening everyone on board. Your family. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your siblings. People who have loved you and sacrificed for you. And you've been asleep. Totally oblivious to the destruction that your choices are causing. And like these sailors, those people on board with you, they've got questions. Lots of them. And maybe up till this morning, you've been like, just back off. It's my life. I'll do what I want. I think God brought you here this morning so that he could tell you, look, wake up. This isn't just about you anymore. There are other people that you've brought into the eye of the storm because of your choices. And what happens next is up to you. Now, once the purpose singled out, it's the third degree. Please tell us, for whose cause is the trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Now, we know from the end of verse 10 that Jonah basically spilled the beans about his running. So imagine... (laughs) excuse me, imagine this awkward conversation. Jonah responds, uh, let's see, that question, what is your occupation? Well, that's a little awkward. I'm a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, it says here on my business card, prophet of God, you know, ambassador, one who speaks for God. Yeah, um, well, here's the deal. Right now, I'm, I'm taking a little break. Well, I call it taking a break. I think God might be calling it going AWOL. So the captain says, okay, so let me get this straight. You are AWOL from your God, and you chose my ship. (laughs) Now, which God is this that you serve? Verse 9, so he said to them, well, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. (laughs) You know, the God who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, both of those things that the sailors are very interested in right now, the sea and the dry land. So the captain's thinking, awesome, Jonah, thanks so much. The captain said, bro, 
Jonah said, Doe. Now the sailors are saying, Oh no. This God, this is the God that we're dealing with? Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Where it says they were exceedingly afraid, it's a magnifying word followed by two forms of the same word for terrified. So let me translate that for you. They were uber terrifyingly terrified. Once they heard what God it was that they were dealing with. That means they're like, you are kidding me. Jonah, yours is the God who killed all those Egyptians in one night. Yours is the God who parted the Red Sea, who knocked down the walls of Jericho like Lincoln logs. And now you've ticked him off and you jumped on our ship. Why have you done this? That's a fair question. For them, don't you think? So if you're here today and you are Jonah, again, these people that are on the ship with you, they have questions. And their biggest question is, why? Why are you running from God? Why are you insisting on your own way? Why won't you just surrender before the storm takes us all down? But you notice Jonah never answered. So then they changed their question. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Y'all, the sea is getting even worse. It was already at the beginning of this story. It was, the, the ship was like this. Now the sea's getting even worse. Now, where is God in this picture? What do we learn in Esther? When God is invisible, he's still involved, right? You know what God's doing right now? That little toy, toy boat? Right? The message that even these pagan sailors could get loud and clear, God is saying, I am not okay with the status quo. Something needs to be done. So the sailors say to Jonah, uh, what shall we do? Verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now doesn't that sound noble? First reading, you're like, ah, finally. Jonah finally gets it. Oh, wait a second. We learn in the next chapter that he spends three days in the belly of the fish before he actually repents. So don't misunderstand this. This looks really noble. I think Jonah is just being pretty stubborn. And I don't mean pretty like in fairly stubborn. I mean, he's being stubborn, but he's making it look pretty. You tracking with me? See, he, he, he's making it look noble. And you're thinking, well, well, wait a second. He admits that the storm comes from him. Yes, you're exactly right. But there's a difference, listen, between confession and repentance. You, do we understand that? To actually say, you know what, I blew it. That's, that's better than not saying, 
that you blew it. But there's a huge difference between saying, I blew it, and now let me change course. Maybe like Jonah, you are here and you admit that the storm that your family or friends face is pretty much because of you. And maybe you've even been tempted or maybe you've even said something like this, just throw me overboard. I know I deserve it. I admit it. Well, forgive me, but I kind of want to say to you, well, aren't you noble? Because I think this is what Jonah's really saying. Look, I know this whole thing is because of me and you should just throw me overboard because I would rather die than do what God has commanded me to do. I would rather sink in my self-pity than surrender to God. Now, let me read to you from chapter four, verse two. Y'all, this is what Jonah knows in his heart about his God. He says, I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knows without a doubt that God, listen, is ready right now, right here on the deck of this ship. God is ready to forgive him, to make this whole thing die down if he'll just surrender. See, we look at that and we go, oh, well, Jonah was kind of getting there. He was starting to be noble. No. Listen, isn't what Jonah should have done is turned to his fellow sailors and said, look, I have really jacked this up. Look, give me a few minutes to be alone with my God. I will repent. I will change course. I will surrender to him. And then the sea will be calm for you. Isn't that the actual right answer? But no, Jonah would rather die a noble death than repent. So he says, just throw me overboard. God says, go. Jonah says, no. God says, yo. The captain says, bro. Jonah says, do. And now the, the sailors say, oh, no. And now Jonah says, throw. Throw me overboard. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the land. So the captain said, uh-uh, row. Now, how turned around is this? Think about this. The sailors, these guys have never known the true and living God. They are busting their hump to try to save one life of a rebellious guy who says he knows God. And what's the reason that they're in this mess? Because this one guy isn't willing that any of the Ninevites should be saved. Right? Now, how embarrassing is it when the world outloves the church? while the church is sleeping or rebellious or off in the corner of the ship, ticked off at some group of people. That's exactly what's happening here with Jonah. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Again, God's invisible, but he's making it obvious. Guys, you're not going to work your way out of this. You're not going to be able to, by your own strength, get out of the storm. God's forcing their hand. I want you to toss that rebellious prophet. And finally then, we see their prayerful solution. Verse 14. 
Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Jonah said, throw. The captain said, row. But God said, no. So the crew said, heave ho. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. You guys get that? The storm is freakishly over like the millisecond that Jonah's rebellious body hits the water and sinks like a rock. You know that, right? That he didn't float. There's no way he could have float, floated. Because he's proven that he's a very bad buoy. <laughs> really bad buoy. But can you imagine? Think about this. Truly, get the picture in your head. The wind is crashing down, right? It's every single one threatens to take this ship down. The waves are crashing in. The noise has been relentless, probably for hours now, right? right? The sailors are having to yell at each other, even though they're only this far away from each other. They have to get right up next to each other and shout to be heard. Okay, we're going we're gonna to launch this loser in three. Okay, three. All right, one, two, three. That's weird goes quiet like that no wonder verse 16 says then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows in that instant they were like okay this all makes sense now this really is the one true and living God who owns the sea and the land For whatever reason, he was mad at that guy. And now that guy is off the ship. And look how quickly he did this. Y'all, basically, these sailors, they got saved. Old Testament style. It's really crazy. You can look through, through the verses and see how they were, you know, every man seeking out his God, you know, break the, the glass in case of emergency. But now here in these last few verses, it's like, Lord, Lord, Lord. It says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. What does that mean? It means they admitted that they had been wrong all this time. They had been serving the wrong God. It means that they believed that he is the one true and living God. He proved it to them. It says that they came to him and offered a sacrifice. How do we come to God? Through the blood of a sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says that they vowed to serve him alone. Y'all, that's repentance. That's changing direction for the rest of your life. Now, perhaps you're, you're tempted to think, I wouldn't blame you. I think actually the first few times I read this, I kind of went that, this way. You're tempted to think, well, this is just a foxhole conversion. Right? You know what that's like, right? God, if you just get me out of this mess, then I'll serve you forever. I don't think so. Because the way foxhole conversions go is they happen in the midst of the storm, right? Just get me through this, and then I'll serve you. I'll serve you, I promise. And then someone forgets after the storm passes. No, this happened after the storm. 
had already passed. These sailors were already rescued. The sea was already calm. And God had proved to them that he was real. And then they responded. Again, it's interesting to watch the progression of these sailors. It was all gods on deck. Break glass in case of emergency. It was Jonah, wake up. One more God can't hurt. And then Jonah the hypocrite says, I fear the Lord. And ever since they've used that word, Lord. Okay, Lord, Lord. Verses 14 through 16, you see the word Lord five times in those three verses. You haven't seen it other than when Jonah said it before. Perhaps you're here today and God has allowed a storm in your life. Maybe for you, God has always been somebody that you keep in the glass, just break, break in case of emergency. You've never actually had a relationship with him. You just keep him in your duffel bag. Okay, I really need, really need something now, God. If that's you today, God wants to change that. He's pursuing you. He wants you to cry out to him. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, I've done too many bad things. I mean, I, I don't know much about God, but I know that he's all about being good. And I'm not. Listen, sailors don't have a great reputation, do they? For morality, right? Cuss like a sailor, drink like a sailor. These are the, exactly the people that God went after in this chapter. And he's going to go after far worse two chapters from now. If you're here today and you're like, I want, I want to be changed. I want my sins taken away. But I've just been too bad. No, no, you don't understand my God. My God goes in pursuit. He knows that we're all a wreck. And he wants us to, to be resurrected and changed. This whole book is about God pursuing bad people. And God has figured out a way to still be just, to still be good, right, and yet save sinners like us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, raise your hand if you're whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the picture, again, Jesus referred to it as the only sign that he promised he'd give. Look like Jonah, I'll go down into the belly of the beast for three days. Y'all, sin and death is the beast that is after us. And one that is greater than Jonah was willing to be tossed into the belly of the beast so that we could go free, so that we could have a relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I thank you for these saints. I thank you, Lord, for those maybe who are here and they don't have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would speak right now, very clearly, to anyone who they've carried you around, they, they know lots of things about you, but they don't have a relationship with you. Pray, Lord, that by your spirit, Lord, you would... Reach down, Lord, redeem. Lord, you would help each one to respond to your free gift of salvation to begin that relationship with you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Could you guys keep your eyes closed? As always, we, we try every week because we don't know who's going to not be here next week. Meaning, not here in the building, but also not here on the planet. Try to make sure and give an opportunity every week for those who don't have a relationship to begin one. If you're here today, and especially if you have a, in case of emergency, God, you don't really have a relationship with him. I want to speak to you, okay? With every eye closed, would you listen to what I think God wants me to tell you? God loves you. He's pursuing you. He's even willing to use storms and fish and any other crazy thing to get you to surrender to him. You're not too bad for him to wipe away every sin. But he's not interested in a just in case of emergency relationship. He wants a relationship, a real one, where you hear from him day by day, where you respond to him, where you walk from this, without a doubt, you walk from this planet to heaven because of the thing that Jesus has done, taken away your sin. If you're here today and you have not yet entered into a real relationship. I want to give you that opportunity. Is there anybody here, if I'm speaking to you, and the Spirit is speaking to you, and you want to go from that emergency kind of God to a real, live, I'm following you for the rest of my life relationship, would you raise your hand? Would you raise it nice and high? I see that. Awesome. Anyone else? We won't, won't delay you. Last chance. Sometimes I missed them, so raise them nice and high. All right. Lord, you see this hand. I'm asking, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, Lord, do that which only you can do. Lord, only you can bring us from death to life. Truly resurrect a soul. And Lord, I ask that you would do that, Lord, in this case. You'd glorify yourself and that you would uh, bring, Lord, a, a brand new life, Lord, completely washed over. No more sin, Lord, uh, n- none uh, to be seen, Lord, from your point of view. Thank you, and I ask, Lord, that you do this. In, in Jesus' name, lead us now. Amen. Hey, why don't you all stand? What we do when when someone um, desires to be saved. Scriptures say that when, uh, if we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth, right, that Jesus is Lord, that's when he does this amazing supernatural thing, right? So we've been, over the last few weeks, just trying to get in the habit of, let's all pray for what, lack of a better word, it's probably not the greatest moniker, but it, it helps us to understand the, the sinner's prayer, right? That is a prayer that says, that speaks truly from the heart, God, I surrender to you. 
That's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Let's all pray together. And this person who says, I want to truly enter into a lifelong relationship day by day, as they pray, then they will enter from death into life, right? All right, so let's help them. We're all going to say it out loud. Would you, would you uh, repeat after me? And of course, you've got to mean this, right? Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I've done wrong things. I thank you that you died for my sin and rose again to prove that you are the Son of God. Lord, now I repent. I change direction. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying my debt of sin and making me white as snow. Thank you, Father, for uh, allowing your son to pay my debt. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome.